A Devotion of Enriquez, Part 1, from Selected Stories by Bret Hart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The present recording is by Raju, Ramina45 at Hotmail.com. The Devotion of Enrique by Bret Hart, Part 1. In another chronicle which dealt with the exploits of Shushu, a Californian Mustang, I gave some space to the accomplishments of Enrique Saltillo, who assisted me in training her, and who was also brother of Consuelo Saitillo, the young lady, to whom I had freely given both the Mustang and my youthful affections. I consider it a proof of the superiority of masculine friendship that neither the subsequent desertion of the Mustang nor that of the young lady ever made the slightest difference to Enrique or me in our exalted amity. To a wandering doubt as to what I ever could possibly have seen in his sister to admire, he joined a tolerant skepticism of the whole sex. This he was wont to express in the marvelous combination of Spanish precision and California slang, for which he was justly famous. As to these women and their little game, he would say, Believe me, my friend, your old uncle Henry is not in it. No, he will ever take a back seat when loaf is around. For why? Regard me here. If she is a horse, you shall say, she will buck jump. She will s shy. She will not arrive. Or she will arrive too quick. But if it is these women, where are you? For when you shall say, she will s shy. Look you. She will walk straight or she will remain tranquil when you think she buck jump. Or else she will arrive and look you. You will not. You shall get left. It is ever so. My father and the brother of my father have both made court to my mother when she was but a senorita. My father thinks she have loved his mother more. So he said to her, It is enough. Tranquilize yourself. I will go. I will efface myself. Adios. Shake hands. Tata. So long. See you again in the fall. And what make my mother? Regard me. She married my father on the instant. Of these women, believe me, Pancho, you shall know nothing not even if they shall make you the son of your father or his nephew. I have recalled this characteristic speech to show the general tendency of Enrique's convictions of the opening of this little story. It is only fair to say, however, that his usual attitude toward the sex he so cheerfully maligned exhibited little apprehension or caution in dealing with them. Among the frivolous and light-minded intermixture of his race, he moved with great freedom and popularity. He danced well, when we went to Fandangos together, his agility and audacity of his figures always procured him the prettiest partners. His professed sentiments, I presume, shielding him from subsequent jealousies, heart burnings, or envy. I have a vivid recollection of him in the mysteries of the Semiquapa, a somewhat corybantic dance, which left much to the invention of the performers and very little to the imagination of the spectator. In one of the figures, a gaudy handkerchief waved more or less gracefully by dancer and dancers before the dazzled eyes of each other acted as a love signal and was used to express alternate admiration and indifference, shyness and audacity, fear and transport, coyness and coquetry as the dance proceeded. I need not say that Enrique's pantomimic illustration of these emotions was peculiarly extravagant, but it was always performed and accepted with a gravity that was an essential feature of the dance. At such times, sighs would escape him which were supposed to portray the incipient stages of passion, snorts of jealousy burst from him at the suggestion of a rival. He was overtaken by a sort of Saint Vitus dance, 
that expressed his timidity in making the first advances of affection, the scorn of his lady love struck with him with something like a dumb awe, and a single gesture of invitation from her produced marked delirium. All this was very like Enrique, but on the particular occasion to which I refer, I think no one was prepared to see him begin the figure with the waving of four handkerchiefs. Yet this he did, beauting, capering, brandishing his silken signals like a ballerina's scarf in the languishment or fire of passion, until in a final figure, where the conquered and submitting fair one usually sinks into the arms of her partner, need it be said that ingenious Enrique was found in the center of the floor supporting four of the dancers, yet he was by no means unduly excited either by the plaudits of the crowd or by his evident success in the fair. Ah, believe me, it's nothing, he said quietly, rolling a fresh cigarette as he leaned against the doorway. Possibly I shall have to offer the chocolate or the wine to these girls or make them a promenade in the moonlight on the veranda. It is ever so, unless, my friend, he said, suddenly turning toward me in an excess of chivalrous self-abnegation, unless you shall yourself take my place. Behold, I give them to you. I vamos, I vanish, I make track, I skedaddle. I think he would have carried his extravagance to the point of summoning his four gypsy witches of partners and committing them to my care if the crowd had not at that moment parted before the remaining dancers and left one of the onlookers, a tall slender girl, calmly surveying them through gold-rimmed eyeglasses in complete critical absorption. I stared in amazement and consternation, for I recognized in the fair stranger Miss Urania Manersley, the Congregational Minister's niece. Everybody knew Rainy Manersley throughout the length and breadth of the Ensignal. She was at once the envy and the good of the daughters of those southwestern and eastern immigrants who had settled in the valley. She was correct, she was critical, she was faultless and observant. She was proper yet independent, she was highly educated, she was suspected of knowing Latin and Greek, she even spelled correctly. She could wither the plainest field nosegay in the hands of other girls by giving the flowers their botanical names. She never said, ain't you, but aren't you? She looked upon did I which as an incomplete and imperfect form of what did I do? She quoted from Browning and Tennyson and was believed to have read them. She was from Boston. What could she possibly be doing at a free and easy fandango? Even if these facts were not already familiar to everyone there, her outward appearance would have attracted attention. Contrasted with the gorgeous red, black and yellow skirts of the dancers, her plain, tightly-fitting gown and hat, all of one delicate grey, were sufficiently notable in themselves, even had they not seemed, like the girl herself, a kind of quiet protest to the glaring flounces before her. Her small, straight waist and flat back brought into greater relief the corsetless, waistless, swaying figures of the Mexican girls, and her long, slim, well-booted feet, peeping from the stiff, white edges of her short skirt, made their broad, low-quartered slippers held on by the big toe appear more preposterous than ever. Suddenly she seemed to realize that she was standing there alone, but without fear or embarrassment. As she drew back a little, glancing carelessly behind her, as if missing some previous companion, and then her eyes fell upon mine, she smiled an easy recognition. Then a moment later her glance rested more curiously upon Enrique, who was still by my side. I disengaged myself and instantly joined her, particularly as I noticed that a few of the other bystanders were beginning to stare at her with little reserve. 
Isn't it the most extraordinary thing you ever saw? She said quietly. Then, presently noticing the look of embarrassment on my face, she went on more by way of conversation than of explanation. I just left uncle making a call on a parishioner next door and was going home with Jacosta, a peon servant of her uncle's, when I heard the music and dropped in. I don't know what has become of her, she added, glancing round the room again. She seemed perfectly wild when she saw that creature over there bounding about with his handkerchiefs. You are speaking to him just now. Do tell me, is he real? I should think there was little doubt of that, I said with a vague laugh. You know what I mean, she said simply. Is he quite sane? Does he do that because he likes it, or is he paid for it? This was too much. I pointed out somewhat hurriedly that he was a scion of one of the oldest Castilian families, that the performance was a national gypsy dance, which he had joined in as a patriot and a patron, and that he was my dearest friend. At the same time, I was conscious that I wished she hadn't seen his last performance. You don't mean to say that all that he did was in the dance? She said. I don't believe it. It was only like him. As I hesitated over this palpable truth, she went on. I do wish he would do it again. Don't you think you could make him? Perhaps he might if you asked him, I said a little maliciously. Of course, I shouldn't do that, she returned quietly. All the same, I do believe he is really going to do it, or something else. Do look. I looked and to my horror saw that Enrique, possibly incited by the delicate gold eyeglasses of Miss Mannersley, had divested himself of his coat and was winding the four handkerchiefs tied together picturesquely around his waist, preparatory to some new performance. I tried furtively to give him a warning look, but in vain. Isn't he really too absurd for anything? said Miss Mannersley, yet with a certain comfortable anticipation in her voice. You know, I never saw anything like this before. I wouldn't have believed such a creature could have existed. Even had I succeeded in warning him, I doubt if it would have been any avail, for seizing a guitar from one of the musicians, he struck a few cards and suddenly began to zigzag into the center of the floor, swaying his body languishingly from side to side in time with the music and the pitch of a thin Spanish tenor. It was a gypsy love song. Possibly Miss Mannersley's lingual accomplishments did not include a knowledge of Castilian, but she could not fail to see that the gestures and illustrative pantomime were addressed to her, passionately assuring her that she was the most favored daughter of the Virgin, that her eyes were like votive tapers, and yet in the same breath accusing her being a brigand and assassin in her attitude toward his heart. He balanced with quivering timidity toward her, threw in imaginary cloak in front of her neat boots as a carpet for her to tread on, and with a final astonishing pirouette and languishing twang of his guitar, sank on one knee and blew with a rose a kiss at her feet. If I had been seriously angry with him before for his grotesque extravagance, I could have pitied him now for the young girl's absolute unconsciousness of anything but his utter ludicrousness. The applause of dancers and bystanders was instantaneous and hearty. Her only contribution to it was a slight parting of her thin red lips in a half-incredulous smile. In the silence that followed the applause, as Enrique walked pantingly away, 
I heard her saying half to herself, certainly a most extraordinary creature. In my indignation, I could not help turning suddenly upon her and looking straight into her eyes. They were brown, with that peculiar velvet opacity common to the peoples of near-sighted persons, and seemed to defy internal scrutiny. She only repeated carelessly, Isn't he? and added, Please see if you can find Jacosta. I suppose we ought to be going now, and I dare say he won't be doing it again. Ah, there she is. Good gracious. Child, what have you got there? It was Enrique's rose, which Jacosta had picked up, and was timidly holding out toward her mistress. Heavens, I don't want it. Keep it yourself. I walked with them to the door, as I did not fancy a certain glitter in the black eyes of the senoritas, Manuela and Pepita, who were watching her curiously. But I think she was as oblivious of this as she was of Enrique's peculiar attentions. As we reached the street, I felt that I ought to say something more. You know, I began casually, that although those poor people meet here in this public way, their gathering is really quite a homely pastoral and a national custom, and these girls are all honest, hard-working peons or servants enjoying themselves in quite the old, idyllic fashion. Certainly, said the young girl, half abstractedly, of course it is a Moorish dance, originally brought over, I suppose, by those old Andalusian immigrants two hundred years ago. It's quite Arabic in its suggestions. I have got something like it in an old cancionero I picked up at a bookstall in Boston. But, she added with a gasp of reminiscent satisfaction, that's not like him. Oh, no, he is decidedly original. Heavens, yes. I turned away in some discomfiture to join Enrique, who was calmly awaiting me with a cigarette in his mouth outside the sala. Yet he looked so unconscious of any previous absurdity that I hesitated in what I thought was a necessary warning. He, however, quickly precipitated it. Glancing after the retreating figures of the two women, he said, This miss from Boston is returned to her house. You do not accompany her? I shall. Behold me. I am there. But I licked my arm firmly in his. Then I pointed out, First, that she was already accompanied by a servant. Secondly, that if I, who knew her, had hesitated to offer myself as an escort, it was hardly proper for him, a perfect stranger, to take that liberty. That Miss Mannersley was very punctilious of etiquette, which he, as a Castilian gentleman, ought to appreciate. But will she not regard love, the admiration excessive? he said, twirling his thin little moustache meditatively. No, she will not, I returned sharply, and you ought to understand that she is on a different level from your manuelas and garments. Pardon, my friend, he said gravely, these women are ever the same. There is a proverb in my language. Listen, whether the sharp blade of the Toledo pierce the satin or the goat skin, it shall find behind it ever the same heart wound. I am the Toledo blade. Possibly it is you, my friend. Wherefore, let us together pursue this girl of Boston on the instant. But I kept my grasp on Enrique's arm and succeeded in restraining his mercurial impulses for the moment. He halted and puffed vigorously at his cigarette. But the next instant he started forward again. Let us, however, follow with discretion in the rear, 
we shall pass her house we shall gaze at it it shall touch her heart ridiculous as was this following of the young girl we had only just parted from i nevertheless knew that enrique was quite capable of attempting it alone and i thought it better to humor him by consenting to walk with him in that direction but i felt it necessary to say i ought to warn you that miss manersley already looks upon your performances at the sala as something outer and peculiar and if i were you i shouldn't do anything to deepen that impression you are saying she is shock said enrique gravely i felt i could not consciously say that she was shocked and he saw my hesitation then she have jealousy of the senoritas he observed with insufferable complacency you observe i have already said it is ever so i could stand it no longer look here harry i said if you must know it she looks upon you as an acrobat a paid performer ah his black eyes sparkled the torero the man who fights the bull he is also an acrobat yes but she thinks you a clown a gracisco di tetro then i have make her laugh he said coolly i don't think he had but i shrugged my shoulders you know he said cheerfully laugh he began with a laugh he make finish with a sigh i turned to look at him in the moonlight his face presented its habitual spanish gravity a gravity that was almost ironical his small black eyes had their characteristic irresponsible audacity the irresponsibility of the vivacious young animal it could not be possible that he was really touched with the placid frigidities of miss manersley i remembered his equally elastic gallantries with miss pinky smith a blonde western belle from which both had harmlessly rebounded as we walked on slowly i continued more persuasively of course this is only your nonsense but don't you see miss manersley thinks it all in earnest and really your nature i hesitated for it suddenly struck me that it was really his nature and hang it all you don't want her to believe you a common buffoon or some intoxicated muchacho intoxicated repeated enrique with exasperating languishment yes that's the word that shall express itself my friend you have made a shot in the center you are ring the bell every time it is intoxication but not a godient look i have long time an ancestor of whom is a pretty story one day in church he have seen a young girl a mere peasant girl pass to the confessional he look her in her eye he stagger here enrique wobbled pantomimically into the road he fall he would have suited the action to the word if i had not firmly held him up they have taken him home where he have remained without his clothes and have danced and sing but it was the drunkenness of loaf and look you this village girl was a nothing not even pretty the name of my ancestor was don quixote de la manca i suggested maliciously i suspected as much come along that will do my ancestor's name continued enrique gravely was antonio hermengildo de salvatra which is not the same these don quixote of whom you speak exist not at all never mind only for heaven's sake as we are nearing the house don't make a fool of yourself again it was a wonderful moonlight night the deep redwood porch of the manorsley parsonage under the shadow of a great oak 
the largest in the ensign hall, was diapered in black and silver. As the women stepped upon the porch, their shadows were silhouetted against the door. Miss Mannersley paused for an instant and turned to give a last look at the beauty of the night as Jocosta entered. Her glance fell upon us as we passed. She nodded carelessly and unaffectedly to me, but as she recognized Enriquez, she looked a little longer at him with her previous cold and invincible curiosity. To my horror, Enrique began instantly to affect a slight tremulousness of gait and a difficulty of breathing. But I gripped his arm savagely and managed to get him past the house as the door closed finally on the young lady. You do not comprehend, friend Pancho, he said gravely. But those eyes in their glass are, as the Espijo story of the burning mirror, they burn, they consume me here like paper. Let us affix to ourselves these three. She will without doubt appear at her window. We shall salute her for good night. We'll do nothing of the kind, I said sharply. Finding that I was determined, he permitted me to lead him away. I was delighted to notice, however, that he had indicated the window which I knew was the minister's study, and that as the bedrooms were in the rear of the house, this later incident was probably not overseen by the young lady or the servant. But I did not part from Enrique as I saw him safely back to the sala, where I left him sipping chocolate, his arm alternating around the waists of his two previous partners in a delightful Arcadian and childlike simplicity and an apparent utter forgetfulness of Miss Mannersley. The fandangos were usually held on Saturday night, and the next day being Sunday, I missed Enrique, but as he was a devout Catholic, I remembered that he was at Mass in the morning and possibly at the bullfight at San Antonio in the afternoon. But I was somewhat surprised on the Monday morning following, as I was crossing the plaza, to have my arm taken by the Reverend Mr. Mannersley in the nearest approach to familiarity that was consistent with the reserve of this eminent divine. I looked at him inquiringly. Although scrupulously correct in attire, his features always had a singular resemblance to the national caricature known as Uncle Sam, but with the humorous expression left out. Softly stroking his goatee with three fingers, he began condescendingly, You are, I think, more or less familiar with the characteristics and customs of the Spanish as exhibited by the settlers here. A thrill of apprehension went through me. Had he heard of Enrique's proceedings? Had Miss Mannersley cruelly betrayed him to her uncle? I have not given that attention myself to their language and social peculiarities. He continued with a large wave of the hand, being much occupied with the study of their religious beliefs and superstitions. It struck me that this was apt to be a common fault of people of the Mannersley type, but I have refrained from a personal discussion of them. On the contrary, I have held somewhat broad views on the subject of their remarkable missionary work and have suggested a scheme of cooperation with them, quite independent of doctrinal teaching to my brethren of other Protestant Christian sects. These views I first incorporated in a sermon last Sunday week, which I am told has created considerable attention. He stopped and coughed slightly. I have not heard from any of the Roman clergy, but I am led to believe that my remarks were not ungrateful to Catholics generally. I was relieved although still in some wonder why he should address me on this topic. I had a vague remembrance of having heard that he had said something on Sunday which had offended some Puritans of his flock, but nothing more. 
he continued. I have just said that I was unacquainted with the characteristics of the Spanish-American race. I presume, however, they have the impulsiveness of their Latin origin. They gesticulate, uh, they express their gratitude, their joy, their affection, their emotions generally by spasmodic movements. They naturally dance, sing, uh. A horrible suspicion crossed my mind. I could only stare helplessly at him. I see, he said graciously. Perhaps it is a somewhat general question. I will explain myself. A rather similar occurrence happened to me the other night. I had returned from visiting a parishioner and was alone in my study reviewing my sermon for the next day. It must have been quite late before I concluded, for I distinctly remember my niece had returned with her servant fully an hour before. Presently I heard the sounds of a musical instrument in the road with the accents of someone singing or rehearsing some metrical composition in words that, although couched in a language foreign to me, in expression and modulation gave me the impression of being distinctly adulatory. For some little time, in the greater preoccupation of my task, I paid little attention to the performance, but its persistency at length drew me in no more idle curiosity to the window. From thence, the standing in my dressing gown, and believing myself unperceived, I noticed under the large oak in the roadside the figure of a young man, who by the imperfect light appeared to be of Spanish extraction. But I evidently miscalculated my own invisibility, for he moved rapidly forward as I came to the window, and in a series of the most extraordinary pantomimic gestures saluted me. Beyond my experience of a few Greek plays in earlier days, I confess I am not an adept in the understanding of gesticulation, but it struck me that the various phases of gratitude fervor, reverence, and exaltation were successively portrayed. He placed his hands upon his head, his heart, and even clasped them together in this manner. To my consternation, the reverend gentleman here imitated Enrique's most extravagant pantomime. I am willing to confess, he continued, that I was singularly moved by them, as well as by the highly creditable and Christian interest that evidently produced them. At last, I opened the window. Leaning out, I told him that I regretted that the lateness of the hour prevented any further response from me than a grateful, though hurried, acknowledgement of his praiseworthy emotion, but that I should be glad to see him for a few moments in the vestry before service the next day, or at early candlelight before the meeting of the Bible class. I told him that as my sole purpose had been the creation of an evangelical brotherhood, and the exclusion of merely doctrinal views. Nothing could be more gratifying to me than his spontaneous and unsolicited testimony to my motives. He appeared for an instant to be deeply affected and indeed quite overcome with emotion, and then gracefully retired with some agility and slight saltatory movement. He passed. A sudden and overwhelming idea took possession of me, and I looked impulsively into his face. Was it possible that for once Enrique's ironical extravagance had been understood, met and vanquished by a master hand? But the Reverend Mr. Mannersley's self-satisfied face betrayed no ambiguity or lurking humor. He was evidently in earnest. He had complacently accepted for himself the abandoned Enrique's surname to his niece. I felt a hysterical desire to laugh, but it was checked by my companion's next words. I informed my niece of the occurrence in the morning at breakfast. 
She had not heard anything of the strange performance, but she agreed with me as to its undoubted origin in a grateful recognition of my liberal efforts toward his co-religionists. It was she, in fact, who suggested that your knowledge of these people might corroborate my impressions. I was dumbfounded. Had Miss Mannersley, who must have recognized Enrique's hand in this, concealed the fact in a desire to shield him? But this was so inconsistent with her utter indifference to him, except as a grotesque study, that she would have been more likely to tell her uncle all about his previous performance. Nor could it be that she wished to conceal her visit to the Fandango. She was far too independent for that, and it was even possible that the reverend gentleman, in his desire to know more of Enrique's compatriots, would not have objected. In my confusion, I meekly added my conviction to hers, congratulated him upon his evident success, and slipped away. But I was burning with a desire to see Enrique and know all. He was imaginative but not untruthful. Unfortunately, I learned that he was just then following one of his erratic impulses and had gone to a rodeo at his cousin's in the foothills, where he was alternately exercising his horsemanship in catching and breaking wild cattle and delighting his relatives with his incomparable grasp of the American language and customs and of the airs of a young man of fashion. Then my thoughts recurred to Miss Mannersley. Had she really been oblivious that night to Enrique's surname? I resolved to find out. If I could, without betraying Enrique, indeed, it was possible, after all, that it might not have been he. End of Part 1 of The Devotion of Enrique From Selected Stories by Bret Hart The present recording is by Raju. Ramina45 at hotmail.com